0: Live from a hollowed tree stump in the middle of no man's land. You reach married with comedy with Jeff Onyx and Joe Chandler. Strap in, boys and girls, and keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all times. It's gonna get funky. Oh. Hmm. Nope. Oh, oh no. Oh, there I am. What's up? Hey, welcome to Married with the Comedy. I'm Jeff Onyx. I'm going to take out this other earbud. So in today's show, we've got uh, stuff going on. Stuff and things. Stuff and things. Yeah, stuff and things. So uh, I can't get my phone thing to work, so Joe's not going to be on the show. Uh, Jay's not going to be on the show. It's just going to be me by myself running the thing. So, um, you know, we're going to have some fun with it. Going to have some fun with it. Uh, Hopefully you'll enjoy the show. On today's show, we're going to meet Gus. No, Gus Goose. Um, We're going to talk about cap guns. We're going to talk about um, building a water filter out of um, stuff you have laying around. We're going to talk about particle accelerators. We got a new segment called Six Pack of Facts. Six Pack of Facts. Uh, We're going to talk about Faith No More. And we're going to talk about Pinky Lee. Okay. So those are all the things we're gonna be having going on today. So you'll enjoy it. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. So all right. Well, to start off, we're gonna do the trivia. So the trivia question today is uh you play along. Where is the largest pyramid in the world located? Where is it located? What country? What uh, what area? Where is the largest pyramid in the world located? That is the trivia question of the day. Uh, leave it in the comments. Chitty chat. Chicky chicky clickety clack. Let us know what's up. If you know. If you don't know, then you don't know. So, that's what's up. Alright, so this week in comedy history, we got... Um, who do we have? Oh, no. No, that's the wrong one. There it is. Today's This Week in Comedy History is Pinky Lee. Pinky Lee was born Pinkus Leff in St. Paul, Minnesota, on May 2nd, 1907. He was an American burlesque comic and host of the children's television program The Pinky Lee Show. In the early... uh. In the early, um, what? The early 50s? In the early 50s? Yeah. Um, or early 60s. 50s or 60s? I think he was around in the the 60s. Let's look. Let's look what he's doing. Boom. Pinky Lee. Uh, oh. Um, Pinky Lee Show. I don't know, man. I had it all on there, but, uh, now I don't, now I'm like a, uh, so, okay. So the early fifties, there you go. I was right. Early fifties. So Pinky Lee was the host of the Pinky Lee show in the early fifties. Boom. That guy. Okay. That guy, Pinky Lee. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Uh, he died, uh, April 3rd, 1993 at the age of 85 in Mission Viejo, California. Uh, He's easily recognized by his trademark lisp and high-energy antics. His signature costume was a loud plaid suit with baggy checkered pants and an undersized hat. During his routines, uh, whenever anybody irritated him or aggravated him in any way, which happened a lot, he was easily irritable, he would unleash his catchphrase, Ooh, you make me so mad! Yeah, that was Pinky Lee. You might not know, in 1957, Pinky Lee hosted the Gumby Show, the original appearance of the claymation character Gumby. So, Pinky Lee was the first host of the Gumby Show. So, that was, um... Oh, my gosh. That was this week in comedy history. Pinky Lee. Pinky Lee. So yeah that's what's up all right so we'll go into music appreciation music appreciation boom. music appreciation so uh you know what's really weird is uh, i can i can hear that i can hear the the table making noise is it touching something there oh now i don't i don't hear it anymore it was because it was touching the microphone on the bottom of the microphone. That's why it was making noise. So, uh, that's what's up. That's what's up with that. So, the music appreciation today is uh, Faith No More, the band Faith No More. Okay. So, Faith Mo- No More, if you've never heard of them, Faith No More is an American rock band from San Francisco, California. They formed in 1979. The band performed under the names Sharp Young Men and. Uh Faith no man before settling on the Faith no More name in July of nineteen eighty three so you had bassist Billy Gould, keyboardist and rhythm guitarist Roddy Bottom, and drummer Mike Borden. They were in the band from the very beginning um and then you know they had various people who came in in the lineup to to sing so the current lineup is billy gould roddy borden mike bottom bottom uh lead guitarist john hudson and lead vocalist and lyricist mike patton and mike patton is in a lot of different bands and stuff but he was in uh faith no more that's what everybody recognizes him from is faith no more you might not know faith no more was nominated for grammys in 1990 1991 and 1993 they all they were also nominated for the mtv music video award a video music award in 1990 and then three times in 1991 and again in 1993 they won the mtv video music award one time in 1991 so faith no more faith no more that's the band that's the band there faith no More. Yep. So, boom! That was music appreciation. So, who's next? Uh, oh, this is my this is this is the new segment: six pack of facts. You know what's funny is I don't even have a, a lower third for six pack of facts. So, we'll have to get the lower third for six pack of facts. So, the six pack of facts. Here we go! Ready for the six pack of facts, everybody? Six pack of facts. Burlesque, like getting naked. She asked about Pink Lily. I guess burlesque comics back then. It wasn't necessarily getting, um, getting, uh, you know, for adult. It was just adult comedy. Grown-up comedy. So, yeah, burlesque dances. All right, so six pack of facts. Here we go. Fact number one, ketchup used to be a medicine that was sold in pill form in the 1800s. So, fact number one, ketchup used to be a medicine that was sold in pill form in the 1800s. Fact number two. Bubble wrap was originally a textured wallpaper. That's fact number two. Bubble wrap was uh, originally a textured wallpaper. Okay. Fact number three. Cookie Monster's name is actually Sid. Cookie Monster has a name. Fact number three. Cookie Monster's name is actually Sid. So if you've never ever wondered that. Number 4, fact number 4 of six pack of facts. Here we go. The keyhole at the bottom of the padlock or oftentimes a hole at the bottom of the key uh the uh, the padlock uh was designed that way to allow water to drain out in case it rained uh or got wet. Then the water would be able to drain out of the bottom. Um, if a key didn't, if if they didn't have the key at the bottom, or uh, then they would have a hole. But um, you know they had the key and the hole on some locks, and some of them just have the the keyhole. But the keyhole and and holes at the bottom of the padlock were there just in case it rains. That's six pack of fact. Fact number four. Fact number five. The Sierra Nevada mountains have pink snow that tastes and smells like watermelon. Six pack of facts. Fact number five. The Sierra Nevada mountains have pink snow that tastes and smells like watermelon. And our final six pack of facts. Fact number six. There's a bridge in the Netherlands built over a highway just for squirrels to cross. Only five squirrels pass over it each year. So six pack of facts, fact number six, there's a bridge in the Netherlands built over a highway and it's designed just for squirrels to be able to cross the highway. And only five squirrels per year use it. So that was the six pack of facts. Oh my goodness, I really like that one. Oh, man. That was a good one, man. That was a good one. All right. So next we got conjecture. Conjecture or fact. Yeah. What? What is that? I got like pop-up windows. Why do I have pop-up windows in the middle of my uh, stuff there? Oh my gosh! Why do I have pop-up windows? All right, here we go. Boom. Probably because this website, this website probably gave me some uh, pop-up window. But uh, we're gonna look at it anyway. Here we go. The uh, conjecture fact today is particle accelerators. Particle accelerators. So um, a lot of people don't know that particle accelerators have actually been around for a long. Long, 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 long time, okay? And everybody thinks the bigger, the better. So originally, um, Ernest Rutherford discovered that in, in 1999 that you could split a nitrogen atom by bombarding it with alpha particles, okay? Um, and then that way they could actually do it rather than waiting for, you know, it to happen naturally so they can observe it, Okay. So Rolf Winderow built a particle accelerator in 1928 in um, the in Germany. So it was there to produce uh what is it 50 Kiev potassium ions okay So at the time what they were doing was they were um uh, bombarding particles with you know, atoms with particles, right, accelerating them. And it was a linear thing, which meant that it was in just one one line and it went and it did it. So uh, the downside of using a a linear particle accelerator is that the length of the drift tube has to be increased as the velocity increases, making the machine rather large and difficult to construct. And it um, uses high energies. In 1929, Ernest Lawrence came up with the much more compact cyclotron accelerator, which accelerates particles along a spiral path guided by by a magnetic field. Uh, And then, um, so they made their cyclotron, which was only four inches in diameter. Okay. So. And then uh, the most powerful type of accelerator, similar to the one that we use right now, came into existence around the 1950s. Okay. Particles started to approach the speed of light. They would slow down due to relativistic effects of some of the energy that goes into the relativistic mass. Uh, So they wouldn't... you know they they wouldn't synchronize properly they would lose synchron synchronization with the r f electrical field of the cyclotron, so they had to you know figure that out um they started using um instead of instead of colliding particles head on wait let's see. Since the energy available for the production of new particles is given in the center of mass frame of the collision, it's much more efficient to collide particles head-on instead of shooting a beam on a fixed target. So instead of instead of taking particles and trying to hit something, they would take a particle and try to. Instead of taking a bunch of particles to try to hit another particle, they decided to take one particle and try to shoot it through. Okay. Uh let's see. Here's the history of it. Okay. Particle accelerators that used um various technologies. Okay, so here we go. 1955, the anti-proton particle at the Bevatron accelerator uh, used proton synchro synch- synchrotron and that was in the United States. Um, then we had in 1962 the muon neutron, and the accelerator was the AGS accelerator, and it was a proton sink sync sink synch, rotron. Okay, so I got sync neutron, it's sink In nineteen seventy-four, the mason. Meson particle was uh, accelerated at the SLAC accelerator and used electron linac, uh, and that's in uh, in the United States. All, all these, well, they know, they're not all in the United States. In 1975, the tau lepton went through the uh, SLAC accelerator, and also it was a elect- electron linac and that was also in Menlo Park, United States. Then in 1978 and 1979 the gluon particle was thrown through the Doris and Petra accelerator, the Dor- Doris accelerator and the Petra accelerator, and they used a electron synchron- synchrotron and that was in Germany. And then in 1980 the WZ boson particle went through the SPS or these ones that were actually discovered. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking to see if these are the ones that were discovered. Oh, no, those are the ones that are collided. Okay. So, um, and that was in Switzerland and then 1955, the top quark was at the Tev, Tevtron accelerator. And that's a proton sync synchrotron. That was also in uh, the United States in the year 2000. A tau neutrino at the Tevtron accelerator. And they used proton synchrotron. All, all the rest of them used proton synchrotron. Uh, and that was in the United States. And then in 2012, the Higgs boson particle was, I guess, discovered. I guess those were discovered because that's when that was discovered at the uh, LHC. At CERN in Switzerland. Okay. So. So people are trying to. Um, you know. Blow these things through. You know basically shoot particles through these accelerators. Now here's the conjecture fact. fact. Um, a lot of people think that. All of these shooting particles. Is going to. Um, open up a gateway to hell. Or already has opened up a gateway to hell. So what do you think. Write it in the description or write it in the uh, the comments. Let me know if you think that uh, they are uh, opening up a gateway to hell by um, shooting these um, particles and splitting particles and accelerating particles and trying to, um, you know, break atoms with other atoms and stuff, you know. So, you know, that's up to you. You let me know. You let me know what you think. Okay, you let me know what you think. So that was the, uh, that was the um, conjecture fact. Are are they opening up a gateway to hell? Or are they not opening up a gateway to hell? Those are the things we need to know. And uh, it's up to you. Because some people think that it's opening up a gateway to hell. Some people don't. And normally we would have Jay on. And Jay and I would talk about that. Um you know and and then we would we would discuss this a little bit cuz Jay and I are both into this kind of stuff so we'd have a little bit more of a deeper discussion where we would bounce some things off like the um the symbols that they have at the uh uh hadron collider the cern collider um and uh the large lhc is large hadron collider uh they have symbols and they have statues and they have um incantations or or different different things in written on there so are they trying to you know open up a gateway to hell or are they not why do they have all those symbols on there what what, what's up with that what's the point of all that you know what the trippy thing about this is i could i could have moved the camera more that way but um i moved it this way so whatever that's what's going on with that, whatever. So, yeah. Outpost survival tip of the week. The outpost survival tip of the week. All right, this you're gonna have to visualize this. I've got a I've got a bottle, so you can visualize it with me, okay? Uh, the outpost survival tip of the week is your own um, DIY do-it-yourself water filter. So, if you have a bottle. And you have a container that you can get the water into the bottle and out of the bottle. Then you can um, filter your own water. Uh, Two liter bottle works good, but, you know, a lot of people have this size bottle. So what you do is you take um, at the very bottom right here, you put a rock in there so that way... um, Whatever you put in there doesn't come out too much; it just comes out like as a trickle, so you put a rock in there just barely enough that it'll fit in there, but not enough that it'll block it up so big enough that it'll you know go in the hole, but not big enough that it'll it'll go all the way through. Then the next layer you put charcoal. where do you get charcoal and I don't mean briquettes like um like the the match light briquettes I mean. Uh, charcoal. What you do is you light a fire, um, like a campfire or what have you, and you take a couple pieces of the wood uh, after they've burned a little bit and take them out of the fire um, after they've been burned some. And the part of the wood that has burned but not been consumed all the way will be black, and that is charcoal. So you take that and you grind it up really fine. Really, really fine. And you put that in the bottle. And you put that in the bottle. Like like that much-ish. Right around there. You know, a little bit in the bottle. And, and, and you uh, make it about that amount for like, if um, I'd say a third of the bottle or a quarter of the bottle. A quarter of the bottle would be just a little less than a quarter of the bottle. If you're using a two liter bottle, then it'd be a bigger bottle. So it'd be a lot more... Stuff in there, but you put about a quarter of the bottle full of charcoal. Then, uh oh, oh by the way, you've got to cut the top of the the bottle off, see, so or the bottom of the bottle off. You cut the bottom of the bottle off right here, and that allow you to put stuff down in it. Okay, so you put the rock in, then you put the charcoal in, then you put sand in, then you put grass in, uh, and and when I talk about grass, I mean long grass um you find yourself some some like hay stuff long grass you know grass it doesn't matter if it's green grass or dry grass or whatever just as long as it's grass so you put your um charcoal then your sand then your grass and at and at the top you put some gravel at the at the top of it put some gravel and you basically fill the rest of it with gravel so a little less than a quarter of the um charcoal, a little less than a quarter of sand, a little less than a quarter of grass, and then the rest gravel. Then what you do is you slowly pour the water that's dirty water, gross water, and I'm talking about if you're if you're if you've got like tadpoles and um you know little animals swimming in it and stuff like that and gross stuff, okay? So you pour the water in and the gravel will filter out some of the larger um, contaminants, animals and, and the different stuff. Then the grass will filter out the, the next smaller ones. Then the sand will filter out the next smaller ones. And then the charcoal will filter out the next smaller ones. Um, and then whatever's left over and it's going to go pretty slow. So you put the water in and then you put Oh, that's another thing. The the first bit of water that you put in, um, you take maybe a half of the bottle worth of water that you put in and discard that. That's basically going to just flush this of all the small particles that are in this out because you're going to have stuff in, the, in all of the things. You're going to have stuff in the gravel, in the grass, in the uh, sand, and in the charcoal. All the loose bits will come out. When you do the first, you do like fill it, fill it, and then it should be good. Maybe one or two times. Okay. Then what you do is you, um, then you take a clean cup or a clean pot or a clean whatever, and you put it underneath the, the bottle and you pour the, the dirty water, you pour the dirty water in the top and it'll go down through it. And it'll come into a cup, and you collect it in the cup. And then after you've collected in the cup, then you boil the water. And here's why. So you get all of the big animals and contaminants out of the water as it goes through the water. Yeah. But you still have, um, you could still have bacteria and other pathogens in the water that's too small to go through the, the filter. This'll make dirty water, clean water. So you the filtering it out will make dirty water, clean water. It'll take dirty, smelly water and make it clean water. Uh, sometimes what people do is they just run the same water through over and over and over and over and over, and over again. You know, you just, to pick up the cup, and dump it back in the thing, and you keep keep doing it until um, the water is as clean as you want it to be uh and then then you boil it so then that way you've got the the dirty water turns into clean water, and then after you boil it, then it's purified water so you've got filtered this does the filtering, and the boiling does the purification, so you do the filtering and then the purification uh. You you will almost always, wherever you are, as long as you have crappy water, junky water, a bottle, a way to make a fire, you will almost always be able to find a way to make charcoal. You'll always be able to find some kind of sand or really fine dirt. Uh, you'll always be able to find um, some kind of grass or some kind of, uh, you know, wet or, or dry grass or moss, you'll be able to find some something almost everywhere you're at. I mean even in the desert you'll be able to find some plants that are fibrous enough that you can do this with. And gravel. So hi Lori. Haven't seen you in a so long. Yeah, that's our that's our new background. And that, that all that stuff actually works except for that one. That one that one doesn't work. All the rest of them work. But that one right there doesn't. So yeah, welcome back, Lori. I was going to have Joe on here. I'm letting you people know since you just came on. Um, Joe and Jay can't be on tonight because uh, I couldn't get my phone thing to work tonight. I don't know what's up. I didn't come in early enough to make my phone thing work. So my phone thing's not working. So we're not able to uh, do the phone thing to get them on. To have them on so i'm doing this all solo so again the outpost survival tip of the week is your diy water filter go through it again put a rock in there take the lid off put a rock in there after you've cut this off cut this off take off the lid put a rock in there it'll block this up um, make sure that it can have water or something to go through it but not enough that it like just flows right out as long as the rock is big enough to block the hole but not big enough to block the hole so that nothing comes out of it. Um, put charcoal in there about a uh, a little less than a fourth of the bottle. And then above that, you put in um, sand. And then above that, you put in grass. And then above that, you put in gravel. Then you'll be able to run your dirty water through it, make it clean water. Then after you're done making clean water with your water filter that you just made, you boil it. To purify it. That's the outpost survival tip of the week. Yeah. Outpost survival tip of the week. Yeah. Alright, so now we're gonna do back in the day. Back in the day. Okay, let's see if I've got it over here somewhere. Back in the day. Um okay. Back in the day. Back in the day we had these things. Cap guns. Back in the day, we had cap guns. Um, Yeah, I know they have cap guns today. But we had cap guns that looked like real guns. They were the same color as a real gun, the same size as a real gun. Oftentimes, they looked exactly like a real gun. Um, And nowadays, they've got these orange tips on them um, uh, for safety reasons, because uh, little kids were pointing them at cops. And cops were um, were um, getting, cops were shooting little kids accidentally. So, the cap gun, also known as a cap pistol, all is also known as a cap rifle, uh, is a toy that creates a loud sound simulating a gunshot with smoke when a small percussion cap is ignited when the the um, some kind of a hammer on the on the, the cap gun smacks against the compression cap, causing it to snap. Uh, Cap guns were originally made out of cast iron. Uh, After World War II, they were made out of zinc alloy. Most of the newer models of cap guns are made of plastic. I remember having um, uh, cap guns that were like metal, you know. A cap gun gets their name from a small disk of shock-sensitive explosive compounds. Um, They provide the noise and the smoke. Uh, effectively the same as a tape primer or percussion cap used in a real firearm in the late 1800s, um, but the percussion caps used in a cap gun are smaller than what was on, uh, you know, those those guns. Um, originally, the caps that I had were rolls of paper, and the paper caps had this little little dot on the paper cap i mean uh the the paper had a little dot and that was the cap itself and a little hammer would strike the thing and i remember getting just the rolls of caps and using a rock to hit them because i didn't have a cap gun but i wanted to have the same noise but i didn't have a cap gun uh and then they later changed that into paper they started I mean, into plastic it was a plastic cap gun that you put a ring of plastic caps or a strip of plastic caps in um in the gun and each time you you um you shot it the revolver ones would spin the the chamber causing the next cap to be uh, in position to be hit or if it was a strip one you put it in there and it was like um like a a it would come up come up the top or down the bottom and pop them uh let's see So some are arranged in plastic rings of eight or 12. There are also single cap rolls of 50 to 500 um, disc caps, Uh, cap straps of which are actually extremely small versions of percussion fireworks. Armstrong's mixture is often used today as an explosive, but previously the tiny powder charge was a simple mixture of, I'm not going to tell you, 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 because then you'll mix the stuff up and make your own. Don't do that. I'm not telling you. And then it was sandwiched between two pieces of paper uh which hold uh hold in the gases of the percussion long enough to make the sound and the um and the uh the sound and the uh the smoke, okay? So real guns during like the Civil War used um primer tape they used caps. The Springfield model 1855 musket used tape primer, which was just like a cap. Um, and then after the decline or after after the wars, then they didn't need the, the caps anymore for real guns. And then somebody had the, the bright idea after watching TV shows um, and they made... Cap guns, based on a lot of the TV shows that were coming out, um, the TV shows like um, uh, TV shows that had people like Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, uh, Hopalong Cassidy, The Lone Ranger, Tonto, Dale Evans, uh, Marshall Matt Dillon, um, and a bunch of other ones. Uh, I remember having a Starsky and Hutch cap gun. Remember that Starsky and Hutch cap gun. The Golden Age of cap guns went for about 20 years between world war II, when TV became popular. Uh, and there were a bunch of different, uh, cap guns. See, there's a cap gun. Hey, uh, we've seen this, this display of cap guns. We saw at, uh, that gun museum, that exact Almost that exact same one we saw at a gun museum. So there was the Stallion 45, the Pony, the Mustang, the Pioneer, the Cowboy, the Texan, the Colt 45, the Rodeo, and various other types of cap guns. Um, there were some that were small Derringer-style cap, um, uh, rifleman, r- rifleman rifle cap guns. There were Rifleman um, rifle-type cap guns. There were guns that looked like the guns from Gunsmoke. So, uh, you know, Oh, here you go. Here's the different types of caps. Here you go. So these are the strips of caps and the, the little round part right, right there was hit by a, uh, by the hammer of the, uh, of the cap gun. But like I said, we would take these and we would just hit them with a rock because we were poor and we couldn't afford cap guns a lot of times. And then you had, uh, these ones, the ring cap guns, it worked like a revolver. So the ring would go around and it would, uh, the ring would go into the gun, and each of those would go on a corresponding little little pin. The hammer of the gun would hit the uh, the back of the the cap, causing it to pop, and it would pop. It would go pop, and it would smoke. So yeah. Uh. So wow. So in 1888. When people started manufacturing cap guns uh, with plastic tips on them that were bright orange, yellow uh, or whatever, because they wouldn't be accidentally mistaken for guns that were real. I didn't realize that the, the orange was put on cap guns that at early, because I remember having cap guns that didn't have plastic, the orange plastic on them. But that's weird. 18, 19. Oh, no, no. I, I'm stupid. <laughs> I thought it said 1888. 1988. Okay, there you go. That makes sense. 1988 they started putting the, the cap the orange cap on the cap guns. So yeah. So that's that's what back in the day we had cap guns that looked like real guns. Looked like real guns. Oh, here you go. Here's a an actual musket and this tape thing. That's an actual Primer cap. So this would um, be fed just like a cap gun onto this, this little pop thing here, this little uh, metal thing, but that would be uh, in a musket and the musket would have black powder and it would fire. um, It would fire, uh, you know, an actual ball or whatever. So, yeah. So the back in the day, Our back in the day has been um, cap guns. We had cap guns back in the day. So I know people were jealous because they didn't have cap guns when they were younger. So, wow. Uh, I'm going to reiterate the. um, You know what? I'm going to reiterate the six pack of facts just because it was fun. The six-pack-of-facts segment, we're reiterating that. Ready? Six-pack-of-facts. Fact number one, ketchup used to be a medicine that was sold in pill form in the 1800s. Fact number two, bubble wrap was originally a textured wallpaper. Fact number three, Cookie Monster's name is actually Sid. Fact number four, the keyhole or hole at the bottom of the padlock was designed to allow water to drain out of the case, or uh, out of it in case it rained. Fact number five, the Sierra Nevada mountains have pink snow that tastes and smells like watermelon. Fact number six, there's a bridge in the Netherlands built over a highway just for squirrels to cross the highway. Only about five squirrels per year use the Squirrel Crossing Bridge. That was the six pack of facts. Six pack of facts. So, yeah. Oh, that leads us to the pathetic pet of the week. The pathetic pet of the week. Now I want the pathetic pet of the week. Here we go. We're going to show you the pathetic pet of the week. Pathetic pet of the week is this animal here, Gus Goose. Gus Goose is the pathetic pet of the week. Look at Gus Goose. Gus Goose is the pathetic pet of the week. Look at that. Oh my goodness. This is a dog. Gus Goose is a pit bull terrier in Kansas City, Missouri. He's an adult male. He's large. He's white and cream. He has his vaccinations up to date. He's been neutered. And he has special needs. His adoption fee is $200. Meet Gus Goose. Gus uh, came to their shelter um, with a skin problem. Okay. He was adopted by a family with children in 2022 who neglected his care, made his skin worse and brought him back to the pound several months later because they couldn't take care of him. So he's about three to six years old. He weighs about 65 to 75 pounds. Gus's situation was dire as he then spent several more months waiting hopelessly for another chance but no one was interested in adopting a dog with health issues. Those folks decided to bite the bullet and give the silly clown a chance, fully aware that he would likely be very expensive a very expensive project and might have to wait a long time for a loving home. He's just too charming for anyone to leave him to his demise. We can only hope now that a nice family will feel the same way when they meet him. Poor guy has been through a lot. None of his issues are his fault. Despite his troubles. Gus has a fun loving clown. Or Gus is a fun loving clown. Who adores people. All he needs is an important. Uh, surgery. The right diet. And some willing someone willing to give him a chance. His health condition is. The most serious problem Gus has. Is a, a, experience. That he's experienced is treatable. He has MPR. MPR is currently working. Wait, wait, no, no. MPR is the people. What, what, what is his, what is his need then? Oh, he was diagnosed with a torn cruciate ligament, which causes a painful motion in the leg. He needs to undergo TPLO surgery as soon as possible, which consists of stabilizing the stifle joint. The prognosis is good, but Gus will need a good seven to eight weeks of recovery following the surgery. Ideally, Gus should be in a home, permanent or foster home, as soon as possible, and so that way he can get the surgery. Uh, Gus also suffers from a a rather severe skin condition, possibly triggered by allergies and skin sensitivity. While this issue is uh, manageable, it's probably chronic and will most likely require lifelong care in the form of a special diet. In the form of a special diet, uh, hydrolyzed dog food formula. Gus may or may not. You uh, also need seasonal allergy medication. Even if you can't give Gus a forever home, perhaps fostering him through his recovery could be an option. Gus will need seven weeks of kennel rest after his surgery and will be helped in and out uh, of a sling. He'll need help in and out of a sling. Uh, If this is not possible, please consider donating for his care. The procedure he needs is probably going to cost around $4,000. So his description is big, stocky, goofy, possibly American bulldog and pit bull mix. Uh, So, yeah. Fun loving goofball, confident dog. He's very friendly with people. Um he, he, he's been in several homes with children, including toddlers and never had a problem. Uh, let's see. Gus would try to chase squirrels and other small animals. Okay. So if you have small animals in your home, such as squirrels or other small animals, Gus may not be the right pet for you. And Gus is the was the pathetic pet of the week. So Gus. So Gus, that was a sad one, man. Gus is, Gus is definitely pathetic. Gus is one pathetic animal there. Okay. So, all right. The trivia question of the week was, where's the largest pyramid in the world located? The largest pyramid in the world, where is it located? Now, a lot of people, they would think automatically pyramids got to be got to be somewhere in Egypt, right? Nope. The largest pyramid in the world is located in Pueblo, Mexico, Pueblo of uh, Mexico. So just just in case you didn't know, Pueblo, Mexico, that's where it was. That's where it was. Uh, that's where it's located. Pueblo, Mexico. So what's this what's that going on there? oh no that 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 means the, the end of the show it's the end of the show yo oh you've been listening to married with comedy with jeff onyx we didn't have anyone else on the show because we couldn't get the phones to work. next week we're gonna have some other stuff going on hopefully we'll be back god willing Enjoy the show. Next week.